Go ahead and open up your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 10. And the main idea that we're going to see this morning is that children of God look like God. Children of God are supposed to look like God. And this is true, and we see this even even in our own families, don't we? We see that even our own children begin to look like us. If somebody had told me when I was younger that being a dad was one of the best things that I'd ever get to experience in my life, I don't know if I would have believed them. But over the past one and a half years of, of getting to be Ellie's dad, I can say certainly, man, it's, it's one of the highlights. It's so wonderful. It's so beautiful. Uh, one of the coolest things is that I get to see her grow up, and, and I get to see how God has uniquely made her and, and what she looks like. And one of the most wonderful but also weird things is that as I look at her, I see parts of my wife, but I also see parts of myself in here. And it's just so strange to look at her and to see a little version of myself, a little version of Marley running around. It's weird, but it's also wonderful and beautiful. Our kids look like us, and this is natural. This is what it's supposed to be. And the beautiful thing is that even for those of us who don't have biological children, who maybe we've fostered or we've adopted, even though our children might not look like us physically, as they grow up, they begin to look like us and how they dress and how they talk, and in how they act. Kids look like their parents. And so for us, for those of us who know Jesus, for those of us in the room this morning who are children of God, it makes sense that we should look like God, amen? We should be people who, as we follow Jesus, as we grow in Jesus, we look more and more like Jesus, and we look less like ourselves. And so that's the big idea that John is trying to communicate to the church, and that's the big idea that I think God is trying to speak into our lives this morning, so because we don't have a whole lot of time, because we, we're not going through the series of 1 John, I want to give you a little bit of context to understand what the world is like that John is speaking into. This book is written by, by John the Apostle, but make no mistake that, that it's God speaking through John. But, but John was writing to a very, very unique circumstance. John is writing to a church that has faced major discouragement. This church had, had been following Jesus, had been rooted in Jesus but then suddenly, as if it was one Sunday morning, half the church stood up and walked out of the room. Half the church had, had left and, and said, we're following a different teaching. We don't need what you're believing. We don't need to be like you. We're no longer your brothers and sisters. We found something different. They began to follow these false teachers who were leading them astray. And it's likely that these false teachers were a group called the Gnostics. Look at your neighbor and say the word Gnostic. Now look at your other neighbor and say Gnosticism. That's a fun one, isn't it? Now the Gnostics, they, they believe a lot of really, really weird things about Jesus, and we're not going to go into all of them today. But the one thing that we need to realize that they believed about Jesus is this. They believed that somebody could claim to know Jesus and not have anything in their life change. They believed that as long as they knew Jesus on the inside, that the outside didn't matter. They said, well, as long as I have faith, as long as I claim Jesus, it doesn't matter how I live because he's going to save me in the end anyway. And, and, and while maybe there's not a group of Gnostics marching down the streets in Douglasville, Georgia, th this worldview still exists today, doesn't it? It just takes a slightly different form. 
And so because the church was battling discouragement, because the church really was battling lies, John is writing with urgency. Because this is a church that he loves. These are people whom he loves. And so he wants to encourage them. And I believe that as we read this this morning, that God is going to encourage us, that we need to be encouraged this morning. John wrote this letter for two reasons. He wrote so that the people at this church may know with certainty that they belong to Jesus and that they're not going anywhere. And he also wrote to them so that they can follow Jesus and not be led astray into sin. And so it's my hope, it's been my prayer this week that as we spend time together in God's word this morning that we'd be encouraged in the same way. And so as we see, as we look at this, that God's children look like God, I pray that God would speak to us and move in our midst this morning. One thing to note is that false teaching always leads to false living. False teaching always leads to false living. And this is why lies are so dangerous. This is why in our world today, our world of relative truth, that your truth can be your truth and my truth can be my truth, that that is not harmless. That's a lie that's leading people away from Jesus. And so as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we get the amazing joy and privilege to take the gospel to people, to, to show them the truth and the love of Jesus and watch Jesus change their lives. Amen? That's what we're here for. It's not about me. It's not about how good I look. It's not about what I can do. It's what God has done in me and what he will do through me. Amen? That's our hope. Our hope is not in us. It's not by the power that we have. It's not by our own might, but it is by the Spirit at work in us. Amen? And so what we're going to look at this morning as we read verses 28 and 29 is that as we abide in Jesus, we get to have confidence before God. As we abide in Jesus, we get to have confidence before God. Let's read those verses together. Verse 28 of 1 John chapter 2 says this. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from his shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. What John is saying here is that if we abide in Jesus, we get to have confidence in our relationship with God. That when we abide in Jesus, when we're walking with Jesus, we can be sure of the reality of who Jesus has made us to be and who God is. We don't have to doubt. We don't have to worry. But we also don't have to be ashamed. This week as I was preparing my message, uh, I, I talked to Pastor Matt a little bit about this and wanted to get his input. And, and he had a really good illustration for this. And so I'd like to share that with you this morning. I want you to think back to a time when, when maybe you were little and, and your parents told you specifically not to do just one thing. In, in this example, let's say that, that your dad has just baked a full sheet of chocolate chip cookies, and it's your mother's secret recipe. And he looks at you, and, and before he walks out of the room, he says, listen, after dinner, we're going to have the best chocolate chip cookies on the face of the planet, but you got to wait. We're going to have dinner. Well, if you're four or five years old, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about those cookies. That's all that you care about. That's all that you want. That's all that you can smell. And so as soon as your dad walks out of the room, what do you do? You go get yourself a cookie, that's right. And so you get up, you stuff your face with as many cookies as you can, and as you turn away from the stove, you see your dad standing there. Oh, what do you feel? What do you feel in that moment? If you're like me, you probably feel shame. 
If you're like me, you also probably felt fear, but you also probably felt shame, wouldn't you? And, and why do we feel shame? Why do we feel shame as people? We feel shame when we sin, don't we? Shame exists when we're walking in sin, when we're living in sin. And so what John is saying here is very simple. If we're following Jesus, we're not going to feel ashamed in our relationship with God. If we're walking with Jesus, following Jesus and loving other people as Jesus has loved us, then if Jesus were to walk through those doors this morning, none of us would cower in fear. Because we have confidence before God, because he has changed us, and because he's changed us, we get to follow him in freedom, amen? Because that's what Jesus has done. And so we get to know Jesus and love Jesus, and there's nothing better than that. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you this morning, is there any reason that you're feeling ashamed this morning? Did you walk into the church this morning feeling burdened? Did you feel scared? Did you feel unworthy? If that's the case, if you're feeling shame in your life this morning, maybe there's, there's a sin in your life that needs to be confessed. Maybe there's a broken relationship that needs to be reconciled. Maybe there's some time that you need to spend intentionally this morning asking God just to forgive you. And church, I want to encourage you. John writes earlier in his letter a very few simple words. In 1 John 1 verse 9, he gives us the promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that true? The Lord will wipe away all of our sins. We have a heavenly Father who is eager to forgive us. He, he loves us, and that's why he sent Jesus. There's no 30-year fixed rate to pay off our sins. Jesus came, and he paid for all that on the cross. And so for those of us who are in Christ, we stand redeemed, but when we struggle in our sin, we still need to go back to the Father and ask him for forgiveness. And so if you're here this morning and you're feeling shame, I want to promise you, shame has no permanent hold on your life anymore. When Jesus died on the cross, he, he buried that shame. He buried your sin and all the consequences for it. And so you don't have to live locked away in shame anymore. If you're in Jesus, you have freedom. And so we get to have confidence in our Lord this morning. And it's not because of us. It's not because I've done enough. It's because Jesus did it all. So we get to glorify him and worship him this morning because Jesus is better. And when we're walking with Jesus, we get confidence. Confidence because he saved us from death and has given us new life. Confidence because Jesus has given us full access to the God of the universe who we get to call Father. We get confidence because God is our loving Father and he loves us. And we have confidence that we're saved and that nobody can take that away. We belong to him. We are always his. We're in his hand, and nobody can pluck us out of it. We belong to the Lord because he has rescued us. The next thing that I want us to see this morning is in verse 29. It says that you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Here's what that means. How we live shows who we are. How we live, how we treat one another, how we love others, how we obey Jesus shows who we are. In other words, the fruits reveal the kind of tree that we are, as Jesus would say. So if we're people who are, who are loving others, if we're people who are obedient to Jesus, it's a sign that we're saved. It's evidence that we know Jesus. As it says in James, faith without works is dead. And so, brother or sister, if you know Jesus and your life looks completely different, know that it's because of Jesus and it's because you belong to him. 
It's because you're no longer who you once were. God has rescued you and transformed you, and now you're walking in the newness of life. Jesus has given you new life, new purpose, new nature. And if you say you know Jesus, but nothing in your life has changed, can I just encourage you to ask yourself a question? Do I really know Jesus this morning? Or or do I just know about Jesus? See, Jesus wants us to know him. He doesn't want us just to know about him. There are lots of people in the world who could answer all sorts of questions about Jesus, but none of that really matters if we don't know him. And so my heart and prayer, as I've been preparing to preach this morning, is that, man, if there's somebody here in the room who doesn't know Jesus, that today would be the day that God speaks to you, that today would be the day where you see that there's an open invitation for you to come and belong to Jesus and be rescued from your sins, and it's not because of something you've done, it's because Jesus loves you. That's on the table this morning. Do you know Jesus? Is he yours? Jesus says in Matthew 7, 16, that you will know a tree by its fruit. And so again, how we live shows who we are. If we know Jesus, then there is evidence in our lives that supports that. And this is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. This is, this is righteous living. This is repentance from sin. This is belief in Jesus as the Son of God. And most notably, this is love for others. When we love other people, Jesus says that that people will see Jesus through us. When we demonstrate the love of God to other people, people see us and they don't see us anymore. They see Jesus. People will know that we belong to Jesus, not because I have a Christian t-shirt on, but because I love other people as Christ has loved me, amen? That's the only way that people are gonna see Jesus, the real Jesus. So I want us to ask a question together. And I'm asking myself this question. What needs to change in our lives? What needs to change in our lives so that who we are is reflected in how we live? What, what, what needs to change in our lives so that who we are is reflected in, in how we live? This isn't to try and please God better. This isn't to, to try and keep your salvation because you're on the verge of losing it. We, we do good works because we're saved, not, not to earn salvation. And so... We want the world to know that we belong to Jesus so that they know Jesus. So what needs to change in our lives this morning so people see Jesus through us? Maybe there's a relationship that needs to be reconciled. Maybe there's sin that needs to be confessed. Or maybe there's a step of obedience that you haven't taken yet. Whatever it is, you have a Father in heaven who loves you and wants nothing more than than for you to follow him and to love him and to love other people. There's no reason to stay away. We have a Father who is here for us. Children of God look like God. The next thing that we're going to see in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, is simply that we as Christians get to dwell on how much God loves us. We get to dwell on how much God loves us. Let's read that together. Verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, that's you and me, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. 
No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. The first thing that John wants us to see this morning is that we get to dwell on how much God loves us. Again, we are children of God, not by our power, not by our might, not by our good deeds, but only by God's love. Amen? It's all because of his love for us. In John 1, it says this. John 1, verses 12 through 13, share with us that we are born of God, not because of anything that has to do with us. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 say this. John 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Isn't that good news this morning? That, that for those of us who are children of God, it's not because of us. And because it's not because of us, that means that we can't lose our identity as Christians. Because God is the one who gave us that identity, and it's not because I've earned it, it can't be taken away. Because I belong to Jesus, I belong to him now and forever. I can never earn that. And I say this personally. I say this personally as a sinful man that I could never earn that because I'm such a selfish person. And the beauty of the gospel is that even though while we were dead in our sins, God loved us with such a great and amazing love that he bought us from death and gave us new life in Jesus. The two most beautiful words in scripture are but God. That, that although we have failed, although that we are sinful, although that we can't do it ourselves, God can and God has. And because of God, everything is different for us. We, we have a new life in Jesus. Romans chapter five, verses six through eight, put it like this. Romans chapter five, verse six says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, we see it right there. But God, even though I was weak, even though I was ungodly, even though I was a sinner, God still died for me and Jesus has rescued me, amen? But God, that's the love of God is but God. Ephesians chapter one talks about how we have been adopted into God's family. Man, I love that word. Because we once didn't have a family. We, we once were lost. We once were wandering in the wilderness alone. But God rescued us and has brought us in, and now I get to know Jesus, and God calls me his son. Not by power, not by might, but by the love of God. That's the beauty of the gospel is that our God loves us and that that love will never fade. I have a friend, his name is Cameron. He's a youth pastor in Kansas, and, and he's a dear friend of mine. Uh, we, we got to preach at each other's denouns. We've supported each other in ministry, and he's just an all-around godly man who loves Jesus. Before I left Wichita to answer the call that God placed on our lives to come here and join you all in Douglasville, uh, I got to have lunch with, with Cameron at one of our favorite barbecue places. And as I was sitting down and, and eating some of the best barbecue on the face of the planet, we were talking, and he shared some pretty incredible news with me. Uh, Cameron and his wife have three, three children, and, and, but for some reason, the Lord has just continued to press on his heart that he needed to foster. 
that, that he needed to adopt. And so he had been taking classes earlier that year to be able to open up his home to these children, but, but things just didn't work out. Well, all of a sudden, a couple weeks before we grabbed lunch, there's a lady in the church who connected him with a family of four little ones. And they, they needed to find a permanent place to live. And so Cameron, again, who, mind you, already has three kids. I grew up with two younger brothers. I know the toll that takes on my mom and dad, right? Already having three kids, he said, you know what? We'll bring those four into our home as well. We'll add them. And so he's currently in the process of, of fostering to adopt. And as I talked to him about it, I'm like, man, that's awesome. Like, that's just so incredible. And he said, you know what? The only reason I'm doing this is for the hope that maybe through my love for them, they'll see the love of Jesus. And that's what it's all about. And, and my prayer and Marley's prayer is that maybe one day the Lord will lead us to foster or adopt. But in the meantime, he's already blessed us with one little girl. And as I told a lot of people in Guatemala, she's very small, but she's very strong. And I love her. And I'm so proud that she's a Sedgwick. I'm so grateful that she's mine. But much more than her being a Sedgwick, I want her to know Jesus. Much more than her being my little girl, I want her to be a child of God. And so what Marla and I do is, is throughout the week, we have a nightly routine where we read. And typically, Ellie always picks the baby beluga book because that's her favorite. She loves to sing the song. She loves the white whales. But after we get done reading, we pray. And we put our hands together, and she puts her little hand in mine. And we pray together. And I pray the same thing every night. I pray, Lord, one day will she come to know you as Savior and Lord. I, I want a lot from my daughter. I want her to grow up to, to be able to, to do a lot of good things, to have good teachers, to have good friends. I want her to go to a great college, get a great job, if that's what the Lord has for her. I, I want her to one day in the far future get married to a godly man, if that's the Lord's will. But man, more than any of that, I want her to know Jesus. That's what it's all about. I, I want her to know Jesus because that's what we need. I want her to be a child of God. If you look back with me, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says something interesting. It says that while the world does not know us, it doesn't know us because it did not know him. Church, I just want to briefly encourage you that as we follow Jesus in the world, there are going to be a lot of people who aren't going in the same direction as us. And so that, that will lead to persecution, that will lead to us being mocked, but we just read about how much God loves us. So who cares what the world thinks? Who, who cares what other people think? We know Jesus and we know what Jesus thinks about us. And that's all that matters. But man, we want other people to know about Jesus too, don't we? We want them to come to know who the Lord is. What we also see is this. Verse two, it says, beloved, we are God's children now, in other words, in this moment, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Here's what this means. Church, we have it good now. We, we get to know Jesus, and we are children of God in this moment, if you trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord. But it only gets better from here. It's good now, but it's only going to get better. While we know Jesus, and we have a relationship with Jesus, and we're saved now, one day we're going to get to see Jesus we're going to get to be there with him. We're going to get to worship him for all that he is. And guess what? In our lives, sin is going to be completely erased. There will be no trace of our sinful past or our sinful nature. There will be no more struggling. When we're with Jesus, it's all going to be all right. 
We'll get to see him as he is, and it says that we will get to be like him, we'll be glorified, we'll be perfect, because Jesus has changed us. In verse three, it says that everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Simply what this means is that children of God look more and more like Jesus. As we grow in our faith, as we follow Jesus, God transforms us. And, but we also have an active role in this. In Philippians 2, 12 through 13, it says that we are called to work out our salvation as God himself is at work in us. And so who is it that makes me look more like Jesus? Is it myself or is it God? The answer is both. God is at work within me. The Holy Spirit is at work within me, pruning away my sin, changing my desires, changing my habits. But I also have the responsibility to trust in Jesus and to follow him and to be obedient to what he's called me to do, which is namely to love other people. We follow Jesus, and as we follow Jesus, he changes us. Now, in verses four through six, it begins to, to make a very important distinction for us. And this is important for us today, but I want to explain why it's important for the readers 2,000 years ago. John was writing this, again, to a church that was facing discouragement. A lot of people, one Sunday morning, got up and walked out. And as John says elsewhere, he's explaining to the church that if they walked out and they say that they're no longer following Jesus, it's not that somehow they've lost their salvation because that's not possible. The reason that they've walked out on Jesus is because they never knew Jesus in the first place. And so what we need to know is that there are only two identities in this world. Jesus tells us that either we know him and we belong to him or we don't. And so if we know Jesus, our lives are going to look like it. And if we don't know Jesus, our lives are going to look like it. There's a difference that's, that's tangible, that's real in how we treat one another. And the presence of our salvation is lived out day in and day out. There's a difference. John says that the most notable difference is that for those who don't know Jesus, they live in perpetual sin. Now, I don't want this to, to cause any unneeded fear in our lives, because the difference between somebody who knows Jesus and someone who doesn't know Jesus is that someone who's trusted in Jesus is saved. And so if you're saved, you can have confidence in your relationship with the Lord, and you can see evidence that you're saved in how you treat other people. Someone who doesn't know Jesus doesn't look like someone who knows Jesus. Someone who doesn't know Jesus is living in perpetual sin. For those of us who are in Christ, we still struggle with sin, amen? We still wrestle with this. This is still something that we fight against. But for the person who doesn't know Jesus, they're not fighting against their sin. They're living in it. And it's because they haven't been rescued from it yet. They haven't come to know Jesus yet. And so there's a difference between those who know the Lord and those who don't. Those are the only two identities that we have. For those of us who are in Jesus, we get to dwell on how much God loves us because he loves us so much. And as we follow him, we look more and more like him because children of God look like God. The next thing that we're gonna see in verses seven through 10 is very simply this, that we need to be on guard, that, that we need to be concerned with not being led astray, not to be led astray. Let's read that, verses seven through 10. Verse seven says this, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. 
By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Again, church, our encouragement, our warning this morning is don't be led astray. Because there are are no end, there's no shortage of lies in our world that Satan is trying to use to lead us away from Jesus. And as we talked about, these lies aren't harmless. False teaching always leads to false living. And so if we become ensnared in this false teaching, it's going to affect our relationship with Jesus. And so John is writing because he doesn't want people to be led astray. He doesn't want people to doubt their salvation, but he also doesn't want them to live in sin. This is why we need to be rooted in the truth. And so what we're also going to see is that how we live not only shows who we are, how we live shows who we belong to. How we live shows who we belong to. Those who live a righteous life are doing so because they belong to Jesus. It's not by the discipline in themselves. It's not by their own power or their own might or by their own goodness. It's because Jesus has radically changed them and now they belong to him. And so I want to offer you encouragement this morning. If you believe in Jesus and you see the fruit of believing in Jesus in your life, you're saved. Have assurance of your salvation. That's not going anywhere. That's not being taken away from you. And that gives us confidence in our relationship with the Lord. That affects our prayer life. That affects how we depend on him. We don't have to wonder or doubt. God doesn't want us to doubt our salvation. He doesn't want us to, to wonder where we stand with him. He has given us Jesus so that we can have certainty that he has rescued us from death and given us new life. So we don't have to go to our deathbed guessing. Jesus gives us that certainty. And again, what we see here is that we're not saved by our works. Our works show that we're saved. Our works do not save us. Our works show the fruit that we've been saved. How we live shows who we belong to. If we believe in Jesus and we're following him, then we're his. We're always his. But those who live in sin, those who don't know Jesus, they're still under Satan's control, and they still belong to him. The question we need to ask ourselves this morning is this. Who do I belong to? Who who do I belong to? Do I belong to Jesus or do I not? Do I know Jesus or am I still living away from him? We ran into some interesting things in Guatemala. We shared about home visits, and, and man, those home visits were amazing. I've never gotten to do anything like that in my life, and it left an impression on me. One, one morning, we went, and we were finishing up our home visits just before we took a break for lunch, and we went into one man's home who was sitting there, I think, with his son and with his son's family, and we got to share the gospel with him, and as we were sharing the gospel with him, some of his kids came in and, and got to see us, but as we were sharing the gospel with him, he said that he was not yet ready to trust in Jesus. He said that he waited, that he didn't want to be flippant with his decision, but that he wanted to be sincere. I said, okay, Jesus wants you to be sincere in your decision. I don't want you to trust in Jesus just because I'm here from America. I want you to trust in Jesus because you want him. And so we continued to pray for him. We prayed that God would make it very clear in his life that he needs a savior. But as we went back and went back to the church and had lunch later that day, Wally asked the local pastor, why that was. And so it turns out that this man who we visited, the local church had visited him several times. They shared the gospel with him. They sat down with him. And every time they met with him, he would say the same thing. I don't, I don't, I'm not ready to make a decision for Jesus. I want to wait. 
We later learned a lot of Guatemalans and Sibinol believe that after you die, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter who you are, that after you die, your family has nine days to pray for you. And from the time that you die until those nine days are up, if your children pray the right prayer, pray the right way, pray hard enough that you'll get to go to heaven. And church, this is heartbreaking because, because this is a false hope. People are going to their grave believing this lie. And they desperately need to hear the truth that, that Jesus offers something way better than that. Jesus offers something way better than, than a life of sin and banking on something that's gonna happen in the end to catch us. Jesus offers us concrete, new, effective life in him today. That life starts now and it lasts forever. It's not some get out of jail free card. It's the best thing that's ever existed. It's how we were made to exist, is in Jesus. So my question for us this morning is, is who do we belong to? Jesus says that there are only two identities. There are only two types of people in this world. Those who know Jesus and those who don't. For those of us who know Jesus, we have assurance of our salvation so that when we die, we know that we're in his hand. Jesus tells us that everybody, whether they know him or not, are gonna stand before him one day. And Jesus will say one of two things. For those who know him, Jesus will say, welcome home. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But for those who don't know Jesus, he'll say the most heartbreaking words with tears in his eyes. He'll look at and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Jesus is going to say something to us one day. What is Jesus going to say to you? Do you know Jesus this morning? The gospel is very simple. God created us to know him. God desires that we know him, and that's what we were made for. But our sins, all the things that we think, say, or do that are not of him, they separate us from God. And our sin can't be taken away by going to church enough or being a nice enough person or doing good things for others. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus is that paying the price for my sin and for your sin, Jesus died on the cross and rose again. So that anybody who trusts in Jesus, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, anybody who trusts in Jesus can have eternal life in him. If you ask God to forgive you from your sins and follow Jesus, he'll save you. He'll give you eternal life and that life starts now here on earth and it lasts forever. So my question for you is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? With every head bowed and all eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you're not sure if you know Jesus, I'd just like to pray for you. And as I'm praying, if you would like to pray this along with me, I'll invite you to. If you want to trust in Jesus, just pray with me. God, I believe in who you are. Lord, I know that I've sinned and I've fallen short. Lord, I know that my sin separates me from you and that there's nothing I can do to take away my sin myself. But Lord, I believe that Jesus died and rose again. And Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me from my sins. Father, I need you. God, I'm yours. Would you help me to follow you the rest of my life? With heads bowed and eyes closed, 
just want to encourage you. If you've trusted in Jesus this morning, as we're about to take communion together, would you tell somebody about that? Would you come down to the front and talk to Pastor Matt or myself or one of our counselors? Because we'd love to celebrate with you. We're, we're here to serve you. We're not here for ourselves. We're here to serve you. However we can be of help for you, we're here. Dear God, Lord, you are so good. And Father, you love us in the best way possible. Lord, you sent your son when we didn't deserve it. And so, Lord, I thank you that you have rescued us and you've given us new life in Jesus. Father, I pray that you just encourage us to follow you. Lord, we love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen.